Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Today is May 26, 2020. There goes May. And here comes... Here comes June, and this is where it all goes a little bit sideways, a little bit crooked, a little bit what's going on here uh, kind of thing. So um, it's important for all of us uh, to uh, remember that all the news are purposely put out to distract us. All the news are purposely put out to trigger us and to have us confused. Uh, Like I said, this is the land of confusion. Confusion. We don't even know if we're going, coming, uh, what's new, what's not, what's old, what's blue, what's red. We know nothing. And um, that is what is the most curious thing of all, is that they constantly have us moving our, you know, our, um, I would say, our attention to other places. And it makes absolutely no sense. Like why would you, uh, maneuver people's, uh, direction uh, so quickly. Uh, We're supposed to forget this and forget that and not talk about this and not talk about it's the most bizarre thing I have ever seen. I mean, I've seen this happen before in um, hostile areas, uh, things that we do to our enemies, but never to the extent that I see it now, uh, which is what is the most concerning So what do we talk about today? I mean, do we talk about how one leftist uh, was so upset that he lied and said, look, Joe Biden put a wreath, but President Trump was playing golf. He blatantly lied unapologetically and totally fine with it, even though the White House streamed a whole ceremony about it and did all this. He was like, yeah, you didn't do anything. Joe Biden did. Then we had people that that pretend to be part of the conservative movement, the America first movement trashing, you know, the QAnon movement, right? Because you had Jack Posobiec and Scott Adams, not the Scott Adams of the radio show saying, Oh, look, the ribbon on the wreath is like a Q and they were trolling. And I'm like, why would you troll something that is doing good for the nation? Why would you troll something you don't know and that you're jealous that you couldn't successfully hijack to monetize? Why? You know, because he wasn't the only one that tried to hijack it, right? He wasn't the only big name that tried to hijack it. But, you know, I digress. So why is all this, why are all these things happening? Again, distractions. They don't want you to keep your eye on the ball, eye on the ball. What's the eye on the ball? Okay. So we already know, you know, this is a Kung Flu hoax. Done. We know they took it over the top. Done. The goal was stealing the elections. Done. We know this. We know this. They wanted to cause terror. Done. But what this ordeal that we have gone through shows the people that they are willing to lock you up. They are willing to make you a prisoner in your own home because they refuse to relinquish power. They refuse to allow you to make free choices. 
free choices. And the thing is, like I've been always saying, and it's so unfortunate that the president doesn't have the right people around him. He had to watch his peripheries. How many times have I said that? Because your government, yes, your federal government in your backyard of the White House is important. But your peripheries can make or break you. And right now we could see these peripheries working together. Gestapo peripheries, right? Gestapo peripheries. The ones that have taken their authority to another level, complete other level. And while people are at home, we have these idiot police officers, right? Committing crimes against the people they're supposed to be serving, giving our people that are serving the people really bad names. You know, over the weekend, I found seven different posts where police malhandled citizens, some, most of them, get this, were high, so obviously not all there, right? Not all there. Remember, I, I'm, I say this again, drug addiction is a mental disease. So, you know, we have to understand that. And as a police officer, when you see someone's out of their mind, you don't overly put aggression or suffocate them because they will die because you know there's chemicals going through their body that can cause them to have a heart attack asphyxiate you know vomit in their mouth you know and you know have aspirations and such i'm just saying like <laughs> you know this is this is where you know people start to get angry and then let's talk about the karen at central park so I was really, really upset because a lot of people be like, well, she's just a liberal leftist, you know, fruitcake that feels entitled. You're right. A hundred percent. She was going to call the police and she was making it all racist that an African-American was going to attack her. And yes, while she was flustered because she was being filmed because she is kind of important at her job. You know, she was strangling her dog. I mean, if you're a dog owner, you know that your dog can be pretty, pretty uncooperative when they're not on a leash, right? They could run off. And so I was very saddened. You know, yeah, this Karen is like going off. I was, I was like, whoa, super Karen. But for her to lose her dog, lose her job, I mean, is that what America's like? Are we going to have social credit scoring systems where society gets to choose if you can live or die? Because everybody participated in that. I'm like, dude, you know, this woman is completely racist. So, so wrong, you know, so wrong. But to go after her livelihood, take away her dog, take away her job. Was that really necessary? She's, she's, she's one of millions of Karens like that, that exists. One of millions of the 1% that exists like that. For me, you know, I pray for her because, you know, she's starting to see who she really is by seeing the response on social media, right? But to have to lose everything, it was just, it was too much. And a lot of people will say, well, a lot of other people are losing things. Yeah, but, you know, if you're making it okay that such things can happen, then what's to stop it from being something that structure will put forward? Think about it. Every single action we do has a reaction. I felt bad. I felt so bad. I was like, oh, how humiliating. You know, leave it at that. But no, people have to go that extra mile and find out who does she work with? Who, what's her job? You know, where'd she get this dog? They trolled the crap out of this woman to destroy her. 
when they could have just told her you're ugly, you're racist, you're this, she would have seen it. I mean, no matter how blind you are to, you know, your actions at some point when someone just, you know, regurgitates to you what you've done, you realize it and you change your ways. But, you know, this woman's lost everything. And, you know, she lives in Central Park, probably has a high mortgage, high flying salary. I mean, look who she works for. Right. Um, you know, even the place where she, uh, you know, went and rescued the Cocker Spaniel, took it away from her because it was choking. Guys, do you know how many times I've held my great Pyrenees from his collar when we're at like a... Um, you know, a dog park and he's squirming and stuff to get away while I'm trying to do things, get the leash or anything. Yeah. You know, people were like, Oh my God, you know, she's doing this. And it's like, I felt really, really bad because is that where we want society to be? Where, where someone just videotapes you at a really crappy moment and they destroy your life. You know, the bird watcher could have been like, look, you know, I, I don't have to put this up, but he could have told her, listen, all I wanted you to do was do the leash. And you went on a racist rant. Do you want me to release this? Is this what you want the world to see? He could have had that conversation with her, but he didn't. I would have. I mean, obviously record it to protect yourself that you didn't do anything. I get it. But to do that was just wrong. And it shows you that it's not just the left that has the problem. So does the right. And everyone falls into these dog, dog piling moments. So as human beings to, you know, to do this to even the worst human being is, is atrocious. I mean, I get catty and, and, you know, every now and then, cause I get upset, but it's, you know, always remembering, um, you know, how it'll pan out afterwards. Now, um, I just want you guys to remember that because when it comes down to it and you might be in that position, think about it. You have a bad day, you know, and you're just like going off. It's only, well, obviously not just in that case, but just, I saw like the greatest Karen videos or the most irritated Karens. I'm like, damn, I'm lucky I'm not on there. Cause I can go Karen on someone. Um, especially when they're wrong and it's all about the perspective, the timing and everything. Could you imagine losing everything for a Karen moment? I'm just saying for a moment that for the women out there who it's the time of the month, you know, you know how we get, you know, menopause, you know how we get like Ann Coulter is not really dealing with that very well, is she? Uh, so it's like, there are moments in our life that, that, that are ugly and bring out the ugliest side of us. Now that woman is probably ugly all the time. She's the type of person that's like, I hate Trump. I could see it in her face. I could see it in her face. How she's, oh, I'm so sorry I'm white, you know, kind of response. The granola muncher, you know, the, the, the pants she was wearing were at least, you know, 200 somewhat dollars. You know, she, 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 she spares nothing for herself. But she didn't deserve that. She didn't deserve to lose her whole life uh, because, you know, one bad moment. She didn't want to be recorded. That was her problem, right? And that's why she called the police and was threatening him with the only thing that she could do, which was racist, of course, because the liberals are the most racist there are. The, the, the apologetic ones, right? The ones that are white and I'm so sorry for being white are the most racist because they're the first ones that'll turn around and say something.
first ones that will turn around and say something racist because they just can't suppress the feelings anymore. You know, it's, 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 it's science. It's psychology 101. So again, our society has gotten to the point that we are now expecting people to lose their jobs, their livelihoods, and even their dog for one bad moment. And, you know, I think it would have been better because the police said that they, they went to the scene and both of them were gone. It would have been better if the bird watcher could have said, listen, ma'am, I'm more than happy to destroy this recording, but I want you to apologize because that was very racist what you did. And if, what would your family, your friends, and your work say when they say, wait a minute, he told you off because you didn't have a leash on your dog and you were claiming, ra- you know, making racist comments saying, oh, there's an African-American male threatening me. What would they say? Like common sense conversations. Now, some Karens go so off that they don't even listen to common sense. But at the point that he, you know, that, that she finished the conversation with the police and he's like, thank you for putting your dog on your leash. He could have had that conversation and it could have went a different way. We are lacking compassion on all sides. You know, we complain that the left, the dildo waivers want to see us dead, you know, They show severed heads and fantasize about all this death to anybody that doesn't, you know, that doesn't approve of having open borders and identifying as anything they want. I mean, pure insanity. I mean, we don't see anymore. I identify as this. We don't hear about the pronouns anymore. That's done. So think about it. We say that they're insane, but we subscribe to the same tactics of punishment, which is not so good. So, you know, that's something people should be very aware of, that we are just the same when it comes to punishment and vengeance. And this is not a good thing. And this makes us look very, very ugly, very, very fast. And, you know, there's no difference between us and them when that happens. So... I wanted to say that on the Karen moment with the dog. I want you guys to reflect on that, you know, because I even retweeted it. But, hey, I did not expect people to take it to that level. Now, shifting a few gears, I um, I thought that we can start with, um, where is it? I wanted you guys to know that Time, uh, Time, Time, <laughs> Time Magazine, Time, is actually live streaming live streaming Governor Cuomo's briefing on COVID-19. Now I'm going to play a couple minutes of this from today. It's live. And I want you to know that he created a contest for New Yorkers to create a campaign for hashtag wear a, wear a mask and people won and whatever. So here he is talking about that campaign and how important it is that they're going to push that New Yorkers have to wear a mask. Take a listen. And uh, we opened this up to competition. There were 96,000 votes for the first and second place uh, winners. 96,000 votes, only a 500 vote differential between number one and number two, okay? Which if it was a normal election would normally trigger an automatic recount, all right? It's that close. There's also an issue with this election that we never really defined an eligible voter. 
And we have people who voted in this competition all across the state, all across the country, all across the world. We had international people uh, voting in this competition, which I did not really fully think through. So rather than have a debate about who would have been an eligible voter, uh, because that 500 votes between first and second is so small, if you start to have a question about who's an eligible voter, uh, it could get dicey. So I'm going to make an executive decision. The state will run both ads, first and second, uh, because they're both great. And obviously, uh, yes, one won by 500 votes, but it was a tremendous turnout. People love both. That's clear. So the state will run both, and we don't have to get into a debate about who is an eligible voter in a video competition. So we'll run both of those PSAs. I want to thank all the voters who participated. That tremendous number just shows how engaged people are all through this. Uh, this is about life and death. This is about their lives. This is about their community. And they're engaged, and they should be, because they are New York tough, smart, united, disciplined, and loving. Questions? Governor, on the bill in Albany that would authorize the city of New York to borrow $7 billion, are you open to signing that bill? My understanding is they're having trouble meeting basic operating expenses without it, assuming the federal government doesn't come through. And assuming that the economy comes back unevenly and the people at the top are okay, would you ever favor raising taxes on the wealthy? Yeah. You know, the let's deal with the here and now now and then we'll deal with the future when we figure out what the future is uh, there's no doubt that governments are hard stretched uh, state government is hard stretched we have a 13 billion dollar deficit uh, city is stretched local governments are stretched all across the state all across the nation that's why I think the real answer is the federal government has to step up and provide state and local aid uh, there was also a piece in the Wall Street Journal that said in those situations when the state and local governments are starved the economic recovery is slower than when you actually fund state and local governments, which makes sense because if you starve the state government, what happens? I turn around, there's less funding for schools, less funding for, for hospitals, less funding for local governments, and that's police and fire. Uh, so we need funding from Washington. Uh, if we don't get funding from Washington, we're going to have a serious financial issue. And it's going to compound uh, our state problem overall. What do you do if you don't get federal funding? Well, then you have to be fiscally responsible. Uh, and for New York City, New York State, Suffolk, Nassau, it's going to be the same question. Uh, will borrow a lot of money. Well, is it fiscally responsible what you're borrowing? Do you have any chance to pay it back? Uh, when you start talking about borrowing to pay operating expenses, this is a whole new situation. Uh, normally, you borrow for capital uh, expenses. You're making an investment that's going to increase future revenue. Borrowing for operating expenses is fiscally uh, questionable. So it's an issue that we're going to face for the state, an issue we'll face for the city. And fiscal responsibility is very important here. We don't want to create 
more debt than the state can pay going forward. And we don't want to create a situation where the state or any local government borrows so much money that they can't repay it, and then you have to start to cut services, and now you're in that vicious downward spiral, right? We've been there before. New York City has been there before. So I'm still banking on Washington doing the intelligent thing. Uh, It's prudent for everyone. Uh, If that does not happen, we're going to have to make hard choices, but they're going to have to be fiscally responsible. And I haven't even looked at those issues for the city or for the state because I still uh, don't want to create the possibility or the excuse for Washington to say, well, we don't have to act. You can just go mortgage your future. I'm not in the mortgaging for future option scenario. You mentioned in recent days that CDC guidance changed with regard to transmission of the virus on surfaces. In light of that, has the MTA's nightly disinfecting of every surface on every train been a misallocation of resources? Would you instead instruct them to get ready for the reopening by handing out masks to every single rider or to increase capacity? Okay, before he answers that question, I want you guys to see that this uh, conference today is a plea because they're going to have to file for bankruptcy. All these states, because he said we have to be fiscally responsible. We can't borrow money for operating expenses. That's right, because you're so far in debt. You have the highest city. Like I'm just talking New York City and as a state, highest tax rate there is. And you still can't make ends meet. And what's funny is, is that he didn't want to talk about who's allowed to vote and stuff. He's got a city with millions of people in there and only 95,000 voted just to show how much people care about this mask and if they think that they should be wearing it, which is sad. So this is important because we talked about this a couple weeks ago on how they're demanding that Washington bail them out. Washington doesn't have to bail them out. This is the easiest way to remove every single sucker, you know, that is on there, every single loser, every single single city council, mayor, the governor, everything. Because if they file bankruptcy, New York becomes federal property. We've said this before, right? And then we can swoop in and say, all right, uh, you know, no debt. We fix this. All right. Now you have special elections and 2020 election season will be super lit. So, you know, they'll be under federal control, full audit, full cleanup. And hopefully we could see states like New York and California and Illinois that should be filing bankruptcy. Right. Um, sorted. And we can catch them for their crimes and how they spent other money, kind of like high speed rail, or what was that other project with the with the um, MTA that you know suddenly went missing in New York? Yeah, we'll find all of that. Now, take a listen to his answer about misallocating resources to disinfecting trains, and should they just hand out masks? Uh, Andrew, all of the above. The CDC did not say. First of all, the CDC did not say you can't get it from surfaces. They said you can get it from services, but it's not a major transmission source. Yeah, because a study actually showed that possibly that you have to exchange bodily fluids in order to catch it, too, through uh, different research that has been done. On top of that, if you're an asymptomatic, you know, COVID carrier, 
455 people were exposed, which makes you wonder, hold on a second, how are they exposing human beings? Is this this like even legal? But in the end, none of those 455 human beings exposed to a person that was asymptomatic COVID positive got coronavirus. So then you're kind of like, well, hold on a second. Hmm. And now we see that those that are in the healthcare industry that are getting it is probably because of bodily fluids and increased contact. Just like a professional truck driver will have more accidents on their record than someone that just drives their car to go to the supermarket. Frequency, man. Frequency. So... Turns out uh, this uh, Kung Flu is not looking as uh, uh, the big boogeyman they make it out to be. What does that mean? Uh, and they previously had suggested that it was a major source. Oh, it means that they don't know what they're doing. That's what it means. So right after the break, uh, we're going to go into President Trump's incredible interview with um, Cheryl Atkinson. We're going to play it. We're going to talk about it. And we're going to dissect it. Then in the second hour, we're going to delve into, uh, you know, Linux again, because that's coming around real soon. Forgotten men and women of our country will be forgotten no longer. The time for empty talk is over. Now arrives the hour of action. From this day forward, a new vision will govern our land. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. Every decision will be made to benefit American workers and American families. America will start winning again, winning like never before. I will fight for you with every breath in my body, and I will never, ever let you down. Do not allow anyone to tell you that it cannot be done. No challenge can match the heart and fight and spirit of America. We will not fail. Our country will thrive and prosper again. Your voice, your hopes, and your dreams will define our American destiny. When America is united, America is totally unstoppable. After nearly four years, my family's nightmare is finally over. We couldn't have survived this without the love and support of the millions of patriots around the world. Thank you from the bottom of our heart. Hi, I'm Laura Loomer, and I'm running for Congress in Florida's 21st Congressional District. Wouldn't it be horrible if we lived in a nation where journalists were silenced just because they confronted the political and media elite? You might think that could never happen in America, but it did. And to me. For confronting people like Hillary Clinton on her corruption and Ilhan Omar for her ties to radical Islamic terror groups, I have been banned on pretty much every single social media platform. And if that doesn't sound extreme enough, I'm also banned on Uber and Lyft. I know, I cannot understand that last one either. When this all happened to me, I contacted the media and members of Congress. I asked them for help. I kept calling, I kept emailing, but I never received a reply. And that's when it hit me. 
I'm a well-known journalist who has the phone numbers of the most powerful people in politics and media, yet I couldn't get any assistance. What on earth would the average American do if the same thing happened to them? I realized then that if I wanted to see change, that I would need to run for office. The American people deserve representation that listens to and acts on their concerns. So here I am, running for Congress in Florida's 21st Congressional District, because the American people deserve a voice and a representative who, like President Trump, will keep the promises they make and speak up loudly and clearly for that silent majority. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. So over the weekend, we had this really great interview with um, Cheryl Atkinson and the president of the United States that I want to play for you. It was actually... Uh, a full measure with Cheryl Atkinson. I loved it. And I want to play it for you guys so you can listen to it with me and we can um, kind of pull out the important information that she was able to garner for us and what we wanted to hear from our president. This week on Full Measure, a one-on-one interview with President Trump on a Sunday when churches reopen in America. And it is an essential service. And we want to get our churches back open. And we'll talk some politics. How important do you think it is to pursue allegations about Joe Biden and improper things happening in Ukraine without making it look like you're doing the very same thing they did to you? Thank you for being on our program. Well, thank you. Do you think that coronavirus has been as transformative to our country as 9-11 was? Well, I think the concept of 9-11 was, uh, it was a little more direct. It was a hit by terrorists. Uh, but this is a hit that came out of China, whether we like it or not. It came out of China. It could have been stopped. It came all over the world, but it didn't really go to China. They stopped their planes going into China, but they didn't stop their planes and their traffic going into the rest of the world, including the United States and Europe. And Europe is decimated. And you look at what happened all over the world, 186 countries. So, uh, no, it's a very terrible thing. And they could have stopped it if they wanted to. They could have stopped it. Either it was incompetent or they didn't want to. Both are not very acceptable, by the way. Can you take us to the moment when you remember first hearing about the highest projections? We're talking millions. And we had not been told that yet in the public. But I assume you were told that first. Were you thinking, how is this to be believed? Was it startling and frightening? Uh, So I was hearing millions of people, and it would have been millions of people. If we didn't shut down, now, would I shut it down again? No, because I, you know, we understand it now much better. We didn't know anything about it. It was new. You mean you would not have, in retrospect, shut down the I would have done exactly, we've done the exact moves that I would have done. And I did it early. Tony Fauci, uh, Dr. Birx. They all said what I did was incredible. In retrospect, uh, Tony, as you know, never thought it was going to be as severe as it was. And, and we're talking about months later, a long time after I did the ban. I did a ban, and nobody thought I should do it. I mean, literally, I don't think anybody thought I should do it. I made that decision by myself, and it turned out to be a great decision. Hundreds of thousands of lives are saved. About four months ago, 
almost to the day, the first coronavirus victim in the United States was officially diagnosed. Right. How has the country changed since then? Well, there's been a big change. Number one, we had to save millions of lives, which we've done with the shutdown. So we had the greatest economy in our history. We had the greatest economy in world history. No, no country has ever done better than what we were doing just a number of months ago. And we had to turn it off to save a lot of lives, which we've done. And now we're opening it up again. And I think we're going to get our economy back fast. We had the best unemployment numbers. We had the best financial numbers, best stock market numbers, the best of everything. And we had to turn it off one day, just like magic. It turned off a horrible thing, the toughest decision of my life. But if we didn't do it, you see what's happening to countries that tried to go the other way. They're losing numbers that are incredible. And we did the right thing, and now we're doing the right thing by getting it going, getting it open. We have to open. A Columbia University analysis said that had the lockdown or social distancing happened sooner, the analysis said almost all of the lives that have been lost could have been saved. And then a New York Times reporter issued a tweet that implied you are culpable for those deaths. You know, it's a disgrace what I watch from this uh, fake news media and from some of these liberal institutions. Columbia is a liberal disgraceful institution to write that because all the people that they cater to were months after me. They said we shouldn't close it. I took tremendous heat. You know this. When I banned China from coming in, first time anything like that ever happened, I took tremendous heat. Tremendous, like a level that I've never seen anything like it. And that went on for months. They were criticizing me. Uh, Sleepy Joe Biden said it's, I'm xenophobic, meaning I don't like people, certain people. And uh, other people said as bad as that or worse. And that was in January. And I saw that report. It's a disgrace that Columbia University would do it, playing right to their little group of people that tell them what to do. Talking about reopening, there are churches and religious leaders in New Jersey, Chicago, California, who have said they're going to defy, if necessary, state orders, and they're going to open back up. Should they do that? Uh, I think they're going to be in great shape. Uh, we're coming out with CDC probably today. In fact, right after this particular magnificent interview that you're doing, I'm going someplace else. I'm going to be reading an order from CDC, but we're going to be requesting that they open. I think they're going to be calling it an essential service, and it is an essential service. And we want to get our churches back open. Uh, everything, we've had such support from, and, and the churches have supported but it is an essential service. When you look at some of the things that they consider an essential service, but they don't consider religious freedom essential service. Now, the ministers, the pastors, the rabbis, the anybody you want to say, the religious leaders, all religious leaders, they want to keep their people safe too. But when you see that they're arresting people and they're in parking lots, in cars with windows closed, and the people are being arrested, it's a disgrace. Honestly, it's a disgrace. So I think CDC is going to be coming out with a ruling. I've been working on that one specifically, and I think it's going to take place very soon. In fact, very, very soon after this interview. Many people are taking the government guidance on the anti-malaria drug hydroxychloroquine to basically ward them off of using it and trying it. On the other hand, there are current experiments going on by National Institutes of Health and academic institutions, including for preventive uses, possibly. You're finishing your two-week course of hydroxychloroquine, finished, correct? Just finished, yeah. Okay. By the way, I'm still here. Yes, to you the are. best of my knowledge, here I am. But is that mixed messages when even scientists say they feel that the government is telling them, or telling people at least, to be very careful and not use this, 
while the President of the United States is using it and while researchers are studying it actively? Well, I've heard tremendous reports about it. Frankly, I've heard tremendous reports. Many people think it saved their lives. Uh, doctors come out with reports. You had a study in France. You had a study in Italy that were incredible studies. Uh, look, if somebody else were promoting it other than me, call it a promotion because I want people to get better. I don't get anything. I don't gain anything other than if it's something that helps, that's a good thing. That's what I want. That's all I want. I believe in it enough that I took a program because I had two people in the White House that tested positive. I figured maybe it's a good thing to take a program. You know, we take a little bit of a, a period of time. I think it was two weeks. But hydroxy has had tremendous, if you look at it, tremendous rave reviews. I did a little calculation from March 13th to April 23rd in slightly less than six weeks. I counted about 41 and a half hours of you talking to the media, talking to the public, taking yeah. questions. And at least in recent times, modern history, I can't think of a president that has had the opportunity or taken the opportunity to do such a thing. Right. Why did you decide to do that, and was that time well spent? Well, I think it was. I certainly got the highest ratings uh, on cable television by a lot. I mean, you saw that. And I get to the public. Look, the news is very corrupt. It's very, very dishonest. I've never seen anything like it. I always knew it, but I never knew to this extent. Anything I say, anything I do is never good enough. We've done ventilators. They were going after me for ventilators. They thought they had us. Number one, the states are supposed to get their own ventilators. There are states that could have bought ventilators. They didn't do it, so they got in trouble. I have made a lot of doctors look very good, but I've made a lot of, more than anything else, I've made, a, I have taken governors who have done a lousy job and made them look great, and they're very popular within their state. Next, in our exclusive interview, we talk with President Trump about his new director of national intelligence and the battles still ahead. I'm fighting the deep state. I'm fighting, uh, I'm fighting the swamp. If it keeps going the way it's going, I have a chance to break the deep state. Yes, he does. And that's what we're doing. That's what you are doing. That is what all of us are doing. We are helping him break the deep state. It is a big network. It is a global network. They, but he is Teflon Don and we are standing right behind him. And you will um, listen to more parts of this interview that uh, the president clearly tells you what, who, what, when, where, and how. And like I said, in the second hour, we're going to go through how Sullivan from the State Department backed and pushed to privatize, I don't want to say privatize, let's say to take certain networks of the State Department off of the FOIA requesting networks. How's that? So when you ask for something, you don't get it. We're going to be reminded how that same State Department awarded more than a billion dollars to Blackwater. Uh, Blackwater and their activities. We'll get to that because this is going to be massive uh, when this comes out. I can't wait for Linick to go onto the floor and be questioned because you know what? All of this is going to the committee and to every single member that will be asking him questions because it's very important that we ask him how, why, and who. So let's listen to the rest of this interview. A lot of alleged wrongdoing has been uncovered by 
FBI and intelligence officials, particularly lately, until Richard Grinnell was made the acting director of national intelligence by you, reporters, members of Congress, members of the public had asked to see a lot of this information, really for three years, yeah. but it was kept hidden. What do you make of that? Because it was kept hidden by people working for your administration. Richard Grinnell is a superstar. He had guts. He had courage to do what he did. We have another superstar going in, as you know, John Ratcliffe. He just got approved yesterday, and he'll be taking over as of Tuesday. Richard Grinnell's done one of the best jobs I've, I've ever seen. I mean, in a short period of time, he exposed them as being corrupt. Look, they were trying to do a takedown of the President of the United States illegally. It's all illegal. Now, I don't know what happens. We hope Bill Barr is going to be as good as we think because Bill is a good, he's a great gentleman, a great man. He's got to hopefully use that information and do what's right. And he'll do what's right. Bill Barr will do what's right. But what Richard Grinnell has done for this country is incredible. But why did it take Richard Grinnell? You had other people who worked service they administration. Didn't do they didn't do their job. Dan Coates should have never let that happen. Dan Coates sat there for two years, didn't do his job. Uh, he then had a replacement who was a nice gentleman from the military, but he was only there for a short period of time. Uh, but I'm so disappointed that Dan Coates didn't do his job. Jeff Sessions was a disaster as attorney general. Should have never been attorney general. He's not qualified. He's not mentally qualified to be attorney general. Uh, he was the biggest problem. I mean, look, Jeff Sessions put people in place that were a disaster. They took over. They've always had the Department of Justice, but they kept it under Jeff Sessions. And the whole thing, the Russian thing, is a total hoax. Think of it. They spent $40, $45 million investigating him. It took two and a half years. They found nothing. No collusion. A friend of mine called a very smart, great businessman. He said, you, may, you must be the most honest person in the world. You went through years and years. They interviewed people that I haven't seen in many years. Millions of phone calls, not one to Russia. Look, uh, some of the people, and I say this, I say it proudly. I came to Washington. I was only here 17 times in my whole life. I came the 18th time I was president of the United States. I had a great life. I did really well. A lot, a lot of good things happened. Now, what's happened, but I didn't know people in Washington. And uh, whether it's Sessions, which was a mistake, or Dan Coates was a big mistake, you know. But Sessions was the big one. Look, Coates, he sat there. He didn't. He didn't do anything. When you look at what Richard Grinnell has done in eight weeks, these people didn't do anything for two and a half years. They should have been exposing this. So I'm very disappointed in certain people, and some people have done a phenomenal job. But what am I doing? I'm fighting the deep state. I'm fighting, I'm fighting the swamp. And I said I was doing it, and I'm exposing the swamp. I think if it keeps going the way I'm going, and Ratcliffe is fantastic, if it keeps going the way it's going, I have a chance to break the deep state. It's a vicious group of people. It's very bad for our country. And that's never happened before. You happen to be a victim of the deep state, I hate to tell you, whether you know it or not. But they've treated you horribly over the years. And so have they treated many other people. They never thought I was going to win, and then I won. And then they tried to get me out. That was the insurance policy. She's going to win, but just in case she doesn't win, we have an insurance policy. And now I beat them on the insurance policy. And now they're being exposed. Comey is a dirty cop. McCabe, bad guy. These are all bad guys. Uh, Lisa Page and Strook, this, these are the two lovers, right? 
and they used public they used public servers. They put it out public because they didn't want anybody to see, you know, like spouses, etc., to see that they were having an affair. And because they did that, they got caught. Tremendous things have happened. They forged documents. We caught them. They have people that have forged documents. Uh, I would like to see it move much faster. I'll be honest with you. To me, I don't need any more information. I know, and I purposely stayed out of it. Other than I appoint people, I purposely stayed out of it. But I'll tell you what, what they've done, if this were President Obama, if this were a Democrat instead of a Republican, people would have been in jail for two years. Many people would have been in jail for two years already with a 50-year term, okay? 50 years. But we caught them. Now, hopefully Bill Barr is going to do something about it. And you know what? Other things are going to come out, too. And a lot of other things are going to come out. But you don't even need other things. What they've done is so corrupt. They've tried to take down a duly elected president of the United States. Happens to be, in this case, me. But we can never allow it to happen again. Coming up in our conversation, we talk politics and President Trump's main rival in the next election. What do you think is Joe Biden's strongest feature as a competitor in politics? Well, I would have said experience, but he doesn't really have experience because I don't think he remembers what he did yesterday. How important do you think it is to pursue allegations about Joe Biden and improper things happening in Ukraine without making it look like you're doing the very same thing they did to you? No, I'm not doing All I'm doing is exposing corruption. In their case, there was no corruption. They found nothing. They came, hey, Mueller and Andrew Weissman and all these terrible people, okay, Mueller lied to Congress. He said he did an interview for the FBI job. He did, and we have that down definitely. Mueller lied to Congress. Even Mueller, uh, Comey lied to Congress, Strzok, Page, all of these people at a minimum. Now, uh, General Flynn, the FBI said, didn't lie, and Mueller said he did lie. And he went through hell. They ruined him. They ruined other people, good people. And we're going to be helping a lot of good people. They've been destroyed, and they didn't do anything wrong. The difference is we caught them. These are corrupt people. And I want to take my hat off to Ron Johnson, Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin. The job he's doing is incredible. Hopefully now Lindsay has kicked into gear with judiciary because I see they have a lot of subpoenas out. Uh, so it's a much different thing. We caught them in a very corrupt, you could call it treasonous, because it is, it's treasonous. We caught them in a very corrupt act. They're dirty cops, and we caught them. What do you think is Joe Biden's strongest feature as a competitor in politics? Well, I would have said experience, but he doesn't really have experience because I don't think he remembers what he did yesterday. So how is that experience? He's been there a long time. He was never known as a smart person. Pick one good thing. Uh, okay, what is his weakest point? Do I you can't think? tell you. I, I mean, I'm really serious. He's got many. I could talk about weak points all day long. First of all, he's not, he's not mentally sharp enough to be president. He's got China. He's got all these countries. Russia. I've been the worst thing that ever happened to Russia. Putin understands that. I get along with Putin, but he understands that. He probably doesn't want me to win, I can tell you right now. Except I think he likes me, but I'm sure he doesn't want me to win. China doesn't want me to win. But Biden doesn't know. I mean, he doesn't know he's alive. I'm, I'm against somebody. Think of it. 
I'm against somebody that can't answer simple questions. I've never seen anything like it, but here's what I am against. I'm against a very powerful party, the Democrats, and they can take this glass of water and say that's your candidate. I'm against a very powerful and very corrupt party. It's a very corrupt party, the Democrats, and we caught them. But I'm against a very powerful party, and I'm against the real obstructionist, which is the media, because the media is corrupt in this country. It's totally corrupt, whether it's a poll or a story. I do a good thing, and I get a bad story. I do another good thing, I get a bad story. I get, I get, or I get no stories. Ventilators, I did such a good job, I get no stories. The economy, I never got. When did you see me get good stories? Prior to the plague coming in from China. When did you see me get a good story on the great job I've done with the economy? They never gave me a good, and yet I was setting records. 142 times I had a new stock market record. And you know what? I'm not so far away from that again, believe it or not. But if Biden gets in, the market will crash. Still to yes, come in will. my interview with the president, we tackle the Twitter issue. Every once every 500 tweets, you might have a mistake. So here he's going to start talking about Twitter, which now is trending right now is take Trump off Twitter. I wanted to ask you a question that I asked you before you got elected when we were interviewed. I asked if you got elected president, would you have somebody review your tweets, do you think? Or would you continue to do them unfiltered? And I thought you said probably that you might. What do you do now? Um... If I didn't have social media, I don't call them tweets because it's Facebook. You know, I'm, I'm uh, very big on Facebook. Uh, Zuckerberg told me I'm, like, the biggest. But does someone look at your stuff before I, no, you put it I, out? Sometimes I'll, I dictate. I do it two ways. I do it myself sometimes, like in the night or in the early morning. Uh, during the day, I'm too busy. Then I'll dictate something out, and they'll put it out. I have one gentleman puts that's it out? excellent. Dan? Dan is great. Dan's doing a great job. So what I have, so I'll sometimes do that because just I don't have time. Look, I'm 44-0 in endorsements this year, 44-0. Think of it. Uh, Kevin McCarthy came over and he said, uh, he said, that's the most incredible thing I've ever seen. You're 44-0 on endorsements, congressional endorsements. Uh, I think I'm like 178 and, and a tiny little number overall. Just so you understand, Sure. Every once every 500 tweets, you might have a mistake. Remember when they got me when I said wiretapping, meaning wiretapping in quotes or spying? But it was in quotes because I'm talking about the modern day version. I said they're wiretapping. They're spying on me. Remember how you thought that was such a terrible tweet, right? I was right. They're spying on me. They spied on me. And that's not being paranoid. That's being fact. It's now known that they spied on me. They spied on Flynn. Now it's up to Bill Barr and Bull Durham. Hopefully, Bull Durham has got an incredible reputation. I never met him. Never talked to him. I never met him purposely. Because if I did, they'll say, oh, Trump told them what to do. Not telling anybody what to do. It's up to Bill Barr and Bull Durham. I can tell you, from my standpoint, they're guilty on so many different things. But they're really guilty. You could call it treason. You could call it, there are a lot of names for it. But it's an overthrow of our government. This is for third world countries. So it'll be very interesting to see. But I give Rick Grinnell a lot of credit for it. And I think that uh, I think that John will do a fantastic job. I wish I had them there at the beginning. 
But again, I now know everybody in Washington. When I first came here, I didn't. And I made some very good appointments, but I also made some that were not so good. Sports fans have said that one of the surest signs we're going to be getting back to normal is when sports resume. Right. After 9-11, President Bush threw out a first pitch at Yankee Stadium. Would you like to do something symbolic like that? Well, I've done it already. I've thrown it at Yankee Stadium. I've thrown it at Boston. I've thrown it at Chicago before I was even president. Uh, I don't care about throwing the first. First pitch doesn't mean anything to me. What does mean something to me is getting sports back. So, you know, I've done the throw out the first pitch many times. What means to me is getting sports back. I think it's a good thing, and it's going to happen. It's going to happen fairly soon. I see golf is starting now. I see that uh, football is definitely – I've spoken to Roger Goodell, the commissioner. Football is looking real good. I know it's going to start. Baseball, I wish they could have started earlier, but uh, baseball starting. And, uh, no, we're going to have our sports back. Can we walk with you to your next appointment? So we walked from our interview down the White House halls. That next appointment, a Memorial Day tradition with the group Rolling Thunder. So, uh, yeah, so, but, you know, the president was golfing. Had nothing to do with Memorial Day. I'll see you guys right after this break where we'll get into the State Department. The deep State Department. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. So right now, we're going to get into a little bit of this deep state uh, hustle bustle. Um, But first, we're going to get into what's been reported uh, this morning in regards to the travel ban on Brazil. Actually, it was said yesterday, but it's important uh, for us to listen to it. Also, uh, we need to talk about China. And um, churches. So I think we're going to start with the churches where Kaylee McKinney uh, actually breaks down the decision to open up churches, which is not being done. And that decision to open up churches uh, was made, and yet churches are not abiding to it. I mean, I can tell you from my church, the Greek Orthodox Church, um, I am so horrified at the adjustments that they've made to um, tradition of over 2,000 years because of coronavirus. The archbishop that was selected uh, it has been the most atrocious choice the heads of church have ever, ever made. And the reason that he was slotted in is because the previous uh, spokesperson for the Greek Orthodox community actually supported President Trump. 
And when he made that clear, he was removed within a couple of weeks. So if you think politics don't play in church, you got to be kidding. So let's take a listen to what the press secretary had to say about the decision of reopening up the churches. Together, we will vanquish the virus and America will rise from this crisis to new and even greater heights. As our brave warriors have shown us from the nation's earliest days in America, we are the captains of our own fate. No obstacle, no challenge, and no threat is a match for the sheer determination of the American people. This towering spirit permeates every inch of the hollowed soil beneath our feet. Let's bring in Kaylee McEnany, the White House press secretary. That was the president. Kaylee, good to see you this morning. That was the president yesterday remembering our fallen heroes. Why was that message so important? It is incredibly important. There are so many great American service men and women who paid the ultimate sacrifice, who laid down their life uh, for this country. And this president honored those men and women yesterday. And uh, now we're fighting a different kind of war, a war with the invisible en- enemy. And once again, American service men and women have rose to the occasion on the comfort and the mercy and deploying and fighting this virus head on. Um, this is an amazing country, and we owe it all to the men and women who gave their lives for the values that we hold dear. You know, one thing about the pandemic, uh, Kaylee, is the fact that, you know, the president essentially turned over to each state uh, the reopening to the governors and certain states are slower than others. You look at Nevada, where they are currently, when it comes to church gatherings and uh, houses of worship, you can have no more than 10 people gather at any one place. Now, the Department of Justice is urging them to reconsider that. And in fact, uh, there's a letter that went out to the governor from the U.S. attorney for the District of Nevada that reads, we are concerned, however, that the flat prohibition against 10 or more persons gathering in-person worship services, regardless of whether they maintain social distancing guidelines, impermissibly treats religious and non-religious organizations unequally. Has the White House heard from uh, faith leaders about this push to reopen churches? Yes, and the faith leaders want to reopen their churches. Uh, As the DOJ said in another statement of interest, there's no pandemic exception to the Constitution and to the Bill of Rights. You know, I went to church on Sunday. I was uh, happy that for the first time a a church that was nearby to me reopened. Um, I went to Mass. Everyone was socially distanced. Everyone was disinfecting. Uh, The priest hand sanitized before he handed out communion. It was the exemplary way, I think, a, a church or a mosque or a synagogue can reopen. So this can be done safely. But when you have states like Virginia that was penalizing 16 people for gathering in a 200 person church, these were sex addicts and drug addicts who depended on going to their church every Sunday and they're penalized while there are large gatherings in the Lowe's parking lot and the Home Depot parking lot. I mean, it's unfair. It's an unduly burden on religion and, and the free expression of worship that's embedded in our First Amendment. And just to note in Mississippi, another example where people were fined for attending church in their car. Uh, this is remarkable. This is not the American way. So, Kaylee, on, uh, uh, on Friday, I think it was, that you gave your press conference. You said, hey, I'm going to run down a list of questions that you guys just don't even ask me. And then you ran through them and you left. And I think a lot of people uh, were stunned by that. A lot of people applauded it. But the one thing you did say is say that uh, make a comment 
uh, that people, some of you don't care uh, whether the, these churches open or not. And some of the press got insulted. In fact, Chris Wallace said on Sunday, quote, let me just say, Sam Donaldson and me in the Reagan White House, we were pretty tough on White House press secretaries. We never had our religious beliefs questioned or lectured to what we ask. I would have been pretty tough if I was there and heard that. Will you question the religious belief of, of the press? No, I never question the religious beliefs of the press. Many of our journalists are great men and women of faith and differing uh, faiths, whether it be the Jewish faith, the Christian faith, the Muslim faith. What I was saying was I was asked 11 questions as to why churches would be allowed to reopen. It was a bit peculiar uh, to be asked these 11 questions in a row and for the onus and the focus solely to be on why churches are essential. I've never been asked why a liquor store was essential. So I was merely pointing that out. And to the point about questioning the journalists and asking why they're not asking certain question. I field hundreds of questions a day. Journalists are not above being questioned themselves. Journalism is a great and noble profession, but there's been a dearth of journalists asking the real questions for President Obama, the criminal leak of Michael Flynn's identity, who leaked that identity, the dossier, which was used to launch a three-year investigation into this president and spy on his campaign. Why aren't those questions being asked? It's journalistic malpractice not to ask those questions, and I can count on one hand the journalists who are like Maria Bartiromo and Catherine Herridge, but where is the lack of curiosity from the current press corps? There's an extreme lack of curiosity at play. Okay, so in North Carolina, the president said he was thinking about moving the convention to Florida, possibly Texas, possibly Georgia. The governor of North Carolina, we were waiting on him to respond, and he says he's not giving an immediate answer as to whether or not we will have uh, full capacity, full attendance there. Right now, they're in phase two. That means only 10 people can gather together. Clearly, they're going to be a lot more than that at the convention. So what's the latest on that? If the president, if, if you guys have signed a contract, the RNC has signed a contract with the state of North Carolina, and already given their word and their commitment, can you get out of those contracts? Yeah, you know, I would leave that to the RNC and the campaign as to the direct state of play for the convention. But the president was very clear in his tweets. Um, he wants to see this convention happen. Um, and he wants to guarantee that, in fact, it will from the state of North Carolina. And this president's done so much good for the American people. I've seen it firsthand and had the honor every day of watching him yep. work hard to get America through this. Um, and he wants the convention to be an opportunity to share the good news with the American people. So, Kaylee, is, is the president trying to force the governor of North Carolina's hand in reopening more of the state? Or is he floating the trial balloon and eh, maybe it's going to be more virtual than in person? Yeah, you know, the president wants to assure that politics is not at play uh, in determining how and when the convention can work. He wants to make sure a Democrat governor uh, is not putting in place um, extraneous restrictions that would prohibit him from having the convention and holding it um, and sharing, as I said, the good news of America reopening and America overcoming what was a, a devastating pandemic. Uh, Kaylee, the other thing would be devastating for North Carolina in particular. The hotels, the yeah. restaurants, the transportation hurts the latest major travel uh, travel oriented company to declare bankruptcy. How much pain does the North Carolina governor want to put their businesses through? And that's just it. You know, you hit the nail on the head, Brian. You know, Dr. Fauci said we can't cause irreparable harm by permanently closing this country. There are real consequences. There are cancer diagnoses that are missed. Uh, there are people who are falling into depression and suicide. There are consequences to keeping this country closed. Um, so that's why we encourage every governor, from the governor of North Carolina and many others, to the governor of Illinois, to make data-driven decisions, smart decisions. Uh, but as the president has always said, don't let the cure be worse than the problem. Yeah. 
I know it would be nice for everyone to go and check out the Carolinas and see and, you know, have that opportunity to go to Charlotte because it is such a beautiful city. Thank you so much, Kaylee. Great to see you. Thank you. Good to see you. You're welcome. Well, bottom line is that um, we don't have to go to Charlotte, Uh, you know, for the sake of security, since Ronna McDaniel has exposed everything there is to expose for the GOP. uh, And that uh, brings up uh, security concerns. uh, Why not just use Cleveland? He dumped billions of dollars into Cleveland. Well, the, the the GOP did for their convention. Everything's ready to go. So that would be a no-brainer is to host it as the president of the United States uh, arrives there uh, for his renomination per se, you know, to, in technical terms, right? We're renominating him. So um, it's important for him to just look at what else we have. Uh, we have a lot more out there. And um, we don't have to um, ask for them to bow down or put in regulations. Uh, Bottom line is it's ready to go. I think the president should just stick to what we are sure is safe and are sure is there. Right. The infrastructure is there. The tech is there. I mean, they fibered up the whole city. And it went great. It was actually quite great. And if North Carolina wants to play like that, then let them play like that. No big deal. We just don't have to give them our money. You know, that's the way it is. No need to give money. Uh, It ends right there. So um, having said that, the president is um, dilly dallying with the idea of it, which is great. And, um, you know, to hold them accountable for their decisions, we're not just going to have it, you know, out there just, oh, we don't know. We're just going to cancel. That's what they want them, want the president to do. They want the president to cancel so that the Democratic convention can cancel too, because, you know, either way, they already picked their candidate. There's no choice. And, you know, maybe the delegates will be like, wait a minute, the guy doesn't remember what he ate yesterday. Oh my gosh, are we really putting this guy up for president? Uh, So that would be interesting to see. Now I want you guys to take a listen on the travel ban imposed on Brazil. Listen. Republican of Tennessee uh, sits on the House Homeland Security Committee, joins us via Skype. Uh, Congressman, always good to have you. What do you make of these restrictions right now on those traveling from Brazil? I I would suspect that there more could follow. Where, Where are we going with this, you think? Well, Neil, first, thanks for having me on the show. And uh, I think it's expected. I mean, you look at the counts that are coming to us from Brazil, 300 and plus thousand cases, 22,000 deaths. There's a university down there that predicts that it could be 12 times that. Their ability to track information is uh, different than our ability. I mean, if you do 12 times that or even 10 times that, that's 200,000 plus deaths. So it's appropriate and it's very consistent that the president would put this uh, restriction on. You know, we're watching their curve very closely, watching the other curves really all across the world. Um, and it's appropriate at this time to, to kind of hold off on, on non-U.S. Uh, citizen travel from Brazil. We already know that visits from uh, China and points uh, far east, of course, are, are already in danger of being you know, cut down and, and, and very, very low going forward. Do you see anything to, to change that or, or do you advocate that now, since it seems to be of the worst of it, we can entertain allowing more into this country or are things so bad now now's not the time to consider? I think we just have to take into consideration everyone's curve. Just like here in the United States, we're sort of treating 
states differently. New York uh, clearly is in a different place in terms of reopening and travel than Tennessee is. Uh, and I think we can do that in terms of the, the countries overseas and our allies and friends. We want to we open up as quickly as we can, but just it, it really depends on where they are in their curve. And if, in, if they're in an exponential growth phase like Brazil is, we probably need to stop travel. Do you wonder about this relationship we have with the Chinese? We're going to be getting into this a little more in the show. But the one issue that's come up is that the more we threaten to crack down on how the Chinese are cracking down on Hong Kong, um, the worse it's going to get between us, certainly financially. The Chinese have little reason to stick to a deal they promised to honor. Now, that could change. um, But but that it, it, it does get kind of out of control. Your thoughts? Well, we're already in a great power competition with China. And if you use the dime paradigm, diplomatic, informational, military, and economic, we've been in economic warfare almost with China for many years, and and we didn't even know it. The case of Motorola is an excellent example. $17 billion company. They share their IP information with Huawei. They undercut them with government subsidies from China, and the company's basically scrapped in 2011 for $900 million, 50,000 Americans lose their job, two or $3 billion off the GDP of the United States. That's what fuels our military. That's what allows us to provide national security. So, I mean, there's been a great power competition for a very long time. The, with Xi Jinping, it's like it's gone exponential. Um, and it's informational, cyber hacking, all this stuff. So the way they've handled COVID, only icing on the cake to a big problem. If China wants a great relationship with the United States, they've got to start acting like a friend. And, uh, you know, the, the way they handled COVID is just more concerning. And their response to our response to that is even worse. All right. We'll watch it closely, Congressman. Thank you. Huh. So, okay, so we'll watch it closely. So we're banning travel, right, from Brazil. And now I want you guys to listen to the report in regards to China, China. And then we're going to talk a little bit about this China debacle. Because Senator Senator Kennedy says uh, that President Trump is the only leader standing up to China. Guys, I am constantly uh, getting feedback from my sources overseas that uh, the virus was actually indeed. So it, it goes back to my initial theory as to, you know, first of all, why would the WHO cover for China? They're not paying enough money. Um, they're obviously covering for someone else because their actions demonstrated that they wanted this uh, virus to spread. They wanted infection to go because they put out knowing, knowingly and willingly put out false information that there was no human to human transmission. Now they're saying, Oh, China told us it's their fault. Well, China was just embarrassed and they actually initially thought it was their issue. Just take a listen here. China has been eating our lunch. Thank God that President Trump has stood up to China and we're putting tariffs when they cheat and we're going to make them pay for the coronavirus. If China told the world the truth, you wouldn't have so many dead Americans and so many people out of work. Senator Lindsey Graham blasting China right there for its handling of the coronavirus outbreak. As the communist government ramps up tensions with the U.S., warning of a brand new Cold War. This new escalation coming as Beijing tries to tighten its grip on Hong Kong, sparking a new wave of protests and a violent crackdown. The White House is now threatening sanctions of China in response. Joining us now live, Louisiana Senator John Kennedy. Senator, welcome. 
Thank you. There is a bill circulating, as you know, right now to follow through on that White House threat and sanction China. Are you signing on? And if so, why? I haven't read the bill, but I'll probably sign on. Look, we have to face the facts with China. First, it's important to distinguish between the people of China and the Chinese Communist Party, which is populated by thugs. Number two, you can't trust the Chinese Communist Party, ever. I wouldn't turn my back on them if they were two days dead. (laughs) Number three, China's strength and China's bullying has been, frankly, caused by the weaniness of the world and the world leaders. For 20 years, the experts and many world leaders have said, be patient with China. Free enterprise will change them. Well, they've changed free enterprise. Uh, The United Kingdom never should have given up Hong Kong to China in 1997. Mm -hmm. And we should have, uh, have protested more. And fourth... Weakness invites the wolves. That's all the Chinese Communist Party understands. We've got to push back and we've got to join the the rest of the world uh, and encourage them to do so, including but not limited to sanctions. We may have to revoke the special Mm -hmm. trade status with Hong Kong. Uh, The people of Hong Kong have got to face a, a, a tough decision here. They can get out or they can fight to the very end. Well, but China's taking them over. Senator, you talk about weakness. You talk about what, as you call it, weeniness around the world. Hong Kong's chief executive had some comments that suggest they think this is going to blow over. Watch. There is no need for us to worry because time and again in the last 23 years, whenever people worried about Hong Kong's freedoms of uh, speech and freedoms of expressions and protests, time and again, Hong Kong has proven that we uphold and preserve those values. No need to worry, she said, Senator. Well, if that's Carrie Lam, I couldn't tell. Yes. She, she runs uh, she runs uh, Hong Kong. She is owned lock, stock and barrel by Xi Jinping, who runs China. If you, ter- if you take Xi Jinping and turn him, up, turn him upside down and shake him, Carrie Lam falls out of his pocket. You might as well have, uh, have Xi Jinping in charge of, of Hong Kong. She's just a puppet. <laughs> I love that. Take Xi Jinping, shake him, and she falls out of his pocket. I loved it. So what do we do about it then, Senator? When, we, when China warns about a brand new Cold War, can, the president still wants to do trade deals with China. He's talking tough, but he still wants to work with them. Can we deal with a trade war, an economic Cold War with China right now when we're dealing with something like the Great Depression? Well, I don't want a a new Cold War with China, but that's up to China. The first thing we need to do is join with our allies, Australia, Japan, uh, India, Europe, if they'll grow some guts, uh, Canada. Uh, Canada's had trouble with China, and we need to push back on the Chinese. Number two, I'm sorry, the Chinese Communist Party. Mm -hmm. Number two, it may mean sanctions. Number three, we may have to revoke the special trading status of Hong Kong. I mean, if Hong Kong is not going to be separate from China, why should we treat them as, as a, a different entity? Um, but basically what we've got to do, the, the, uh, uh, the, the, the world leaders who believe in Western values, or at least believe in the sovereignty of their own country, mm-hmm. have got to grow some oranges. The, the only politician I know of that's really uh, been willing to stand up to China is Trump. I mean, it's just a fact. Hate him or love him. 
He's been the only one to look them in the eye and say, man, you, you're not going to shove the world around anymore. You're not going to shove America around. Doesn't mean we shouldn't talk to them, yeah. but we got to stop being a bunch of weenies. Grow some oranges. I hadn't heard that one in a while. Senator, I want to bring it back here to home in these lockdowns and where we are on reopening. Uh, a moment yesterday on MSNBC, okay. reporters wearing a mask and claiming that people around him are not, the citizens in Wisconsin, are not wearing masks. And one of those citizens said, hang on, the guy you don't see off camera, the cameraman, he's not wearing one either. Watch. You can see here, just around. Nobody's wearing them. Nobody's, uh, the there you go, including the cameraman. Striking images, Cal Perry. Cal, thank you very much. Striking images, they say, trying to call people out for not wearing a mask when one of their own team is not wearing one either. What's going on here, Senator? Well, just like the press and our leaders have asked the American people to be responsible, we, we need to ask our friends in the press to be responsible. And look, report the facts. Here are the facts. The coronavirus can kill you. It's not going to kill most of us. Most of us aren't going to get it. Number two, we know social distancing works. Stay six feet away. If you're elderly and have pre-existing conditions, try not to go out. Wear a mask when it's appropriate. I wear a mask a good bit of the time when I'm on Capitol Hill. Mm -hmm. Wash your hands. Uh, don't get stuck on stupid. Use your head. Respect the virus. Number three, um, the best stimulus plan is, is to reopen the economy. And we, we're doing economic permanent damage by leaving it shut down. And, and just call it like you see it. I mean, the press mm -hmm. is, well, they need to be more responsible like the American people and just report the facts, in my judgment. Don't get stuck on... So much of this is people are, try, people are trying to tie this somehow to the election mm -hmm. in, in November. And this isn't about the election. This is about safety of the American people and keeping the American economy from going to hell in a handbasket. Senator Kennedy says don't get stuck on stupid. That's going to have to be the final word. Senator, appreciate you coming on. You bet. Thanks Thank for having me. So he said, grow some oranges. I think I'm going to use that. Uh, that would be like the way that I would edit myself when I say cojones. But um, what we have here is a debate as to what is really behind this insanity that we're seeing. What is really behind this coronavirus uh, you know, uh, ex ex extraordinary, right, um, actions. Why are all of them not really wearing masks, but they're telling you to wear masks? Why are they weaponizing, you know, sheep and natural-born Karens? You know, there's natural-born snitches. I mean, how do you think they cast them for movies? They look like snitches. You know, have you ever watched a movie and thought, oh, that guy totally looks like the snitch. Oh, he looks like a Judas because they're very specific. Uh, there's a lot of science that goes behind all of this, but I'm not going to delve into it. Uh, after this short break, we're just going to recap on the State Department and re-listen. And I'm going to tell you <laughs> just how Linux was the backbone to the deep state, to the shadow government that was visiting nations while President Trump was president. I'll see you in a bit. All right.
Okay, welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. So here we are, um, where we are going to talk about the State Department again and how corrupt Linux is again. Uh, but before we do that, I just want to make sure that everyone understands what we are seeing right now is a movement for people to put on the new chains of slavery and your submission. And your status as a submissive and obedient slave is with that mask. And Andrew Cuomo just put that out saying, show respect and wear your mask. It's disgusting. So that's all I have to say on that for now. So let's move along to listening again to this amazing, uh, you know, uh, appropriations um, hearing, well, it's a subcommittee hearing where Linick was telling the committee that um, aside from needing better communication about potential criminal activity by department officials, he needed an independent computer network. And he said, while there's no indication that the, the, the State Department personnel looking into uh, that there are personnel in the State Department looking into sensitive files on his computer, the possibility existed because they shared a network. And he highlighted the sensitivity pertaining to the investigation materials on whistleblowers as one example. He said, they're not open, but if an administrator wanted to, and again, we don't have evidence of this, if an administrator wanted to, he or she could come on to our system. They come on to our system as it is with security patching for all legitimate reasons. Take a listen. Because it is largely contract, requires OIG to be independent. My IT infrastructure lacks independence because it is largely controlled by the department. While we have no evidence that our data has been compromised, the fact that the contents of our network may be accessed by large numbers of department administrators puts us at unnecessary risk and does not reflect best practices on IT independence within the IG community. Second, unlike other IGs, my office is not always afforded the opportunity to investigate allegations of criminal or serious administrative misconduct by department employees. Department components, including the Bureau of Diplomatic Security, are not required to notify OIG of such allegations that come to their attention. If we are not notified, we have no opportunity to investigate. This arrangement is inconsistent with the Inspector General Act and appears to be unique to the department. Relative to being uh, on the same network, can you talk about that in a little more detail and talk about what you're doing to protect your independence and, and whether you need to be totally independent on a separate network? I mean, what, what is your recommendation or what are you doing to, uh, to protect IG's independence? Um, I think that uh, your point is well taken to the extent that the department uh, suffers from uh, attacks. We suffer from attacks because we're on the same network. Um, we've taken a number of steps uh, since I've been in, in office. Um, first of all, we've asked the department to agree not to come onto our system without without us without asking permission. And we, we have finally, we've gotten that agreement from the department. Um, but we need more than that, because right now, um, we, are, we are sort of in a uh, gated community, if you will, uh, where we rent, we, our IT system is, we rent our IT system and 
the IT folks at the department have the keys to our IT system. So they really have access, unfettered access, to the system if they wanted to. They could read, modify, delete any of our work. We have sensitive grand jury materials. We have so long... So I'm sorry to interrupt. How far down in State Department organization um, does that access, is that access provided? Is that throughout the organization? Or well, it's, just... it's State Department administrators... Um, have access to to our system, and as well as any other. So system. during an investigation, your your files are open to the, the hierarchy of the State Department. Well, they're not open, but if an administrator wanted to, and again, we don't have evidence of this. If an administrator wanted to, he or she could come onto our system um, with their with their access. That that's the problem. I mean, they come onto our system as it is with security patching and and all for legitimate reasons. So how is that done in other departments? Well, very, at the very basic level, there's, there, some de departments differ in the way they handle it. Um, generally, you know, there's, there's, there's a firewall or some sort of form of protection um, against that type of intrusion because an IG just can't uh, protect confidentiality of witnesses and information if there is a possibility. Now, the other way some IGs do it, and this is the way I, did it, I did, did it when I was the Inspector General at the Federal Housing Finance Agency, I had a completely separate system and network with my own email address. I was completely off the department's uh, grid. What keeps you from doing that here? Well, I need um, money. <laughs> and I need the department's cooperation. Uh, I would like to be completely separate from the department um, to ensure the integrity of our system, but I also need the department uh, to give us uh, access to the same systems that we have now. And I've, I've actually um, broached this topic with the secretary last Friday uh, and Deputy Secretary Higginbottom. Do you have evidence that the State Department's network has been attacked, and does that affect you guys? Uh, there, there, and there has been, there's, there's evidence that has been attacked and it has affected us. I can't really go into details uh, because of the nature of the information. Okay, guess what? Tori's going to tell you the nature of the information. So uh, I want you guys to understand that uh, they asked for a, an independent network um, because they have a lot of sensitive information on the network. And um, this is, uh, you know, what's interesting. So Purdue says an statement, right? All right. Let me change gears just a minute. As we work on this reauthorization bill in the full committee, what opportunities for increased ineffectiveness do you see? And if this is a long-winded answer, I will have the time to come back. Have about a minute left. So if you'll just give me quite, um, me quite the highlights here in terms of improving effectiveness of the State Department. If you had uh, the top two, th top or three priorities, what would you recommend based on all the work you've been doing? Linux says, in terms of items that would help the IG performance job, Purdue says yes. Right. So what does Linux say? So I would say here the two issues come to mind. Number one is our ability to get early notification of misconduct involving serious or criminal activity and our ability to investigate that, at least decide whether or not we're going to investigate that or turn it back to the department. 
So that is sort of number one. The second issue is what I mentioned, the IT independence. We really need to be independent from the department. We have a lot of sensitive information on our network. So I would say those two things would be the top of my list. So Purdue says, okay, well, thank you. My time is up. So Kane, Tim Kane, Clinton's running man, said, um, well, you know, I wanted you to, um, uh, you know, clarify on this. I wanted to know more of this. But, you know, he was like, I'm just going to move to something else. Now, Johnson comes in and he says, uh, we had Deputy Secretary Kennedy in front of our Homeland Security Subcommittee in the last Congress. Because he refused the invitation to testify before this committee on the same day, I took that opportunity to ask him a series of questions to which I did not get forthright answers. Then we submitted those questions for the record. We have not gotten any reply whatsoever. I'm not quite sure how I can hold an administration accountable, how we can hold these officials who were at the heart of the matter, those who made key decisions, those who I think were really derelict in their duty, resulting in the death of four Americans. We're going to Benghazi, right? If we don't know who made the decisions, how do we actually hold people accountable? Linux says, look, accountability is obviously part of our job, and we try to hold people accountable in the department, though a variety of mechanisms through investigations, our inspections, audits, there are three areas which I think pertain to accountability. One is accountability for implementing ARB recommendations over time, and that is something we have been focusing on heavily. The other is accountability for making sure our contracts and grants are overseen properly and our contracting officers are held accountable. And the other area is making sure there's accountability for the IT network, which has huge vulnerabilities. Now, I want you guys to understand that this network hijack, listen to this. Vulnerabilities in the department's unclassified network directly affect the Office of the Inspector General's IT infrastructure, which is part of the same network. We noted on our November 2013 management alert on information security that there are thousands of administrators who have access to the department's computer network. Now, let me tell you something. Do you know why there was a management alert on information security in the fall of 2013? Want to take a wild guess? Because when John Kerry took over in February of 2013, he took over the State Department. There was an acting, um, oh, <laughs> there was an acting OIG. Uh, suddenly, a lot of people got, got information on Benghazi. So a lot of that information got to the hands of senators and Congress people, and it was used for blackmail so they can maintain their positions. Now... What happened was, is that everybody in the State Department had access to the State Department servers and nobody could find a footprint. That was the problem back then. So that you understand, there weren't any footprints. This is why the uh, Department of State has actually contracted with specific companies, one in Alaska and another one that claims to be in, in, in D.C. to do all their tech, which I'm digging into right now, just so you know. Because they've gotten millions and millions of dollars. And if you're saying you're holding accountable the department for the contracts, maybe we should talk about that. So it goes on, this little tidbit report that I found goes on to say, 
that access runs freely throughout the OIG's IT infrastructure and increases risk to OIG operations. For example, a large number of department administrators have the ability to read, modify, or delete listen to that or delete any information on the OIG's network, including sensitive investigative information and email traffic without the OIG's knowledge. And that was actually done recently. Uh, I mean, recently at the time of 2015, um, by the Department of State and the Bureau of Information Resource Management that agreed to notify and receive information from the OIG prior to accessing OIG systems in most circumstances. Did you get that? So they had like an internal agreement because they didn't have a separate network that if anybody at the Department of State or the Bureau of Information Resource Management accessed any files or anything of the OIG, they would let him know. But the funny thing is, it's like there was no footprint tracking place because, you know, Hillary Clinton ran a really, really deep state, State Department. So uh, that was odd. So the OIG has actual no evidence that administrators have actually compromised the OIG's network. Keep that in mind. But at the same time, had OIG's network been compromised, we would likely not know. So we can't prove that it's been compromised, but we can't prove that it hasn't. So that was their argument to get this money. So the fact that the contents of their unclassified network, unclassified, stop, everything's classified, stop. You mean unclassified, meaning everybody within the State Department can access it, and it's not like a stop compartmentalization, right? That's the problem. But anyway, it says, the fact that the contents of our unclassified network may be easily accessed and potentially compromised places our independence at unnecessary risk and does not reflect best practices within the IG community. The OIG seeks to transition to an independently managed information system, which will require the department's cooperation and support from Congress. What? So think about it. When did this happen? This happened right at the point that Hillary Clinton is going to announce that she is running for president of the United States. This is done in 2015. What was hanging over Hillary Clinton's head? Oh, the emails. Oh, Benghazi. Oh, Uranium One. Now, obviously, if there's elections coming along, you know that people within the State Department are going to be checking up and pulling things. The ones that don't want Hillary Clinton to be there. Now, um, unofficially and off the record, but I'm sure with a little bit of examination, you'll see that between 2015 and 2016, there were a lot of changes within the State Department in regards to administrators within the IT division. That's number one. Maybe we got a lot of Pakistanis there too. I'm just saying. So here we are where he's set up a secret network. A network that nobody can access and they have to have the ability and clearance to see it. He's also stated that nobody can get on that network without the OIG knowing to delete information. So 
If we were to retrieve this server, this independent network, and realize that there are missing files, deleted emails or anything, that goes back on every single person under the OIG's office. And you know, a lot of people are going to say, well, that's not fair. The secretary or the, you know, or the photocopy girl or the lawyer or this aren't at fault. You fire them all. It's nothing personal, man. He was, your boss was corrupt. And you knew he was corrupt because what he was doing was wrong. And you said, I was just doing my job. You need to get fired. This is why I don't understand why we didn't just gut the FBI. Why didn't we just gut the Department of Justice? And why did we allow Linick to send his own lawyers, his own lawyers, are you listening? His own lawyers, his own staff lawyers to help the impeachment committee. That makes absolutely no sense. And it also doesn't make sense. It's like, what the heck, Pompeo? Like, come on, man. We've got, like, all these, you know, things going on. What are you doing? Sleeping? What are you doing? Get rid of them. Get rid of them. But no. No, no, no. He can't. He can't get rid of them yet, he says. He can't. Oh, you know who was on that committee awarding for this money? Menendez. And you know what? The people that were pushed out of the State Department that were part of the Trump administration were a problem because they were firing people that were the only link to what? Yes, the actual IG server. So I want you guys to listen to how Menendez, I'm reminding you, spoke about the firing of Linux. Crisis has happened. Why was Linux fired in your, in your estimation? Well, Christian, uh, the reality is, is after being there through two uh, administrations, uh, Inspector General Linick was tough during the Obama administration. He's been there for three and a half years, nearly the entirety of the Trump administration. To let him go now uh, reeks to the high heaven that obviously what he was investigating was problematic for the Secretary of State. And he, the Secretary of State went to the president. The president uh, said he no longer had confidence, which is not a basis, really, for letting the inspector general go. And so uh, this is an assault. This is the fourth time we have had an inspector general go from different departments. Uh, it seems to always happen on a Friday night. And this is an assault uh, on the checks and balances that governments have uh, over the agencies of the federal government. And that's why we need to investigate it, whether it was the Saudi arms sales, whether it was personal use. Whether it is, there are some reports about. And I want to know, how do we know that it was Saudi arms sales that he was investigating? How do we know that, you know, a dog walker was upset? Stop once again. And by the way, Pompeo got another doggy. So it's going to be two dogs that are going to be <laughs> the gal Friday or, gal, or, or guy Friday will be walking. But listen, listen to this carefully. Based on the fact that you know that the uh, OIG's network is secure, that no one has access to the OIG network at all. Right. And only the people of the OIG, if he had those ongoing investigations, tell me how it leaked. Oh, had to be someone with access to that, isn't it? You see what I'm saying? This is how easy you can put them in a box by using their words against themselves. This is how easy you point it out and you find out exactly where the issue is, where the problem is. You know, these government watchdogs, right? <laughs> I mean, 
we the people got to start watching them, which is really bad. Think about it, guys. How bad is it that we have to be on our toes, on our toes, watching these clowns every movement so that they don't rob us blind? Rob us blind of what? Of our nation. That's the problem. It's so ridiculous, you know, that we have to protect ourselves from them. Now, I want you guys to listen to Linick and what he had to say, again, when Purdue cross-examined him on the same thing of the IT network. He responds to say, I think that your point is well taken to the extent. Oh, wait, his his point well taken. My my apologies. He says, um, Mr. Linick, we're going to start a second round. I know the ranking member has other questions. I have a few here. I would like to change direction and talk about the IT point that you brought up in your testimony this morning. You mentioned that there have been attacks on the State Department's network and that compromises the IG's work relative to being on the same network. Can you talk about that a little bit more detail and talk about what you're doing to protect your independence and whether you need to be totally independent on a separate network? What is your recommendation there? What are you trying to protect? What are you doing to protect the IG's independence right now? Great job, Purdue. Nice question. Here's his answer. I think that your point is well taken to the extent that the department suffers from attacks. We suffer from attacks because we're on the same network. We have taken a number of steps since I've been in office. First of all, we have asked the department to agree not to come onto our system without asking permission. We have finally gotten an agreement from the department. But we need more than that because right now we're sort of in a gated community, if you will, where we rent. We rent our IT system and the IT folks of the department have the keys to our IT system. So they really have access, unfettered access to the system. If they wanted to, they could read, modify, delete our work. And we have sensitive and we have sensitive grand jury materials. We have law produces, sorry to interrupt. How far down in the state department organization is that access provided? Is that throughout the organization? He says, well, the state department administrators have access to our system as well as many other. He's like, stop. So during an investigation, your files are open to the hierarchy of the state department. Well, they're not open, but if an administrator wanted to, and again, we don't have evidence of this. If an administrator wanted to, he or she could come onto our system with their accent, access. That's the problem. They come onto our system as it is with security patching for legitimate reasons. And he says, so how's it done in other departments? Well, at a very basic level, departments differ in the way they handle it. Generally, there's a firewall of some sort to form a protection against that type of intrusion because an IG just can protect confidentiality of witnesses and information if there was a possibility. Now, the other way some IGs do it, and this is the way I did it when I was inspector general at the Federal Housing Agency, you know, when all that mortgage fraud went on, I had completely separate system and network with my own email. I was completely off the department's grid. Purdue. Well, what keeps you doing it from here? Well, I need money and I need the department's cooperation. I would like to be completely separate from the department to ensure the integrity of our system, but I also need the department to ensure the integrity of our system. Uh, but, I, but I also need the department to give us access to the same systems that we have now. I have actually approached this topic with, with the secretary last Friday and Depu uh, Deputy Secretary Hagenbottom is talking about 
Carrie. So Carrie and him talked about it with Higginbottom where they said, yeah, okay, we want our own separate network for the IG. This is what we do, but we're also going to have access to yours. And he said, there's, um, Purdue says, do you have evidence that the State Department network has been attacked? And does that affect you? There is evidence it has been attacked and it has affected us. I can't really go into details because of the nature of the information. I understand completely. So what are you doing to protect the independence? And how can you, in short, separating yourself to separate it takes money and you said protect the independence of your investigation well we haven't taken the first step in getting the department to agree to not come on our system we've done the first step by getting them to agree he says wait let me just pause this just one second he says we're getting him to agree to not come on our system and the next step is developing the firewall and then it really depends if the department's on board with that so guys based on this testimony and there's a lot more you'll see how they picked it out and how John Kerry started a formal wall to protect Hillary Clinton. This system was put in place to protect Hillary Clinton or anyone whistleblowing for activities that were happening throughout the time of the presidential elections because she was so dirty. And this same system is going to deliver us the deep state. The same system. Because if anything is deleted, well, I just have to say that we probably have everything we need because we knew that it existed. So, hey, but um, more on that. I'll see you tomorrow. God bless.